Welcome to Documentary First, an inside look at a documentary filmmaker's journey. I'm your host, Josh Lindsay from the Movie Proposal Podcast. And with us is our documentary filmmaker, Christian Taylor. Hey there, Josh Lindsay. How's it going? Good. How's it going with you? Pretty good. Pretty good. And with us, woo-hoo. couldn't do it without him. Well, I mean, we, obviously we proved we can, but I got to say it anyway. <laughs> Jason Rugg. <laughs> hey there. He does always make it so much more delightful. Nice to see you, Jason Rugg. Nice to see you. <laughs> so, Christian, what's going on? Yeah, it's been a couple of weeks since we got together, so it's nice to see you guys. It's so funny. I um, Before this podcast, I started thinking, well, there's not really a lot happening, not enough to talk about. And I sit down to take notes of like, so I'm like, well, what has actually happened? And so I sat down. I'm like, oh. I guess I have been doing a lot, or I guess a lot has happened. Uh, It just doesn't feel very, um, I don't know, successful, big, exciting. It's sort of the mundane to do stuff. But anyway, I'll let you know what's been happening and we'll go go from there. Um, One of the things that was interesting this week is I don't know if you remember um, the um, one of the camera operators that I took with me to Normandy and the producer, Chad and Taylor Gilchrist, who started as documentary first listeners. And I ignored Chad for quite a long time until he contributed to the Patreon. When I went back to my email, I was like, I know I know that name. And I realized I'd blown him off. Finally (laughs) took him out to breakfast to thank him for donating to Patreon. Turned out he was wanting to be a DP and had a lot of experience and at that point, I'm thinking in the back of my mind, gosh, I wonder if we're ever meant to work together. And um, <laughs> shortly after that, uh, Corey Lillard, who was supposed to go with us to Normandy to shoot the Carenton Project, couldn't go. And I was like, hmm, I wonder if Chad could go. And Chad and Taylor were about to get married, but he pitched it to Taylor. And I was like, well, we need a producer. So you guys could both come. So they did. It was amazing. Got along, had really great you know, chemistry working together. And so while I was just in Orange Beach, Alabama with my dad on a little beach vacation, they reached out to me and asked if I was free to do a political TV commercial on Tuesday. And apparently the lead actress had gotten strep throat or some sort of thing like that. And so she couldn't come in and they asked me to submit an audition. I did. um, And I actually was cast, which is a total laugh riot. So but, hold on, hold on. Yeah. You're on the Holy Post, which often gets political. And uh, I think the fans would say, you know, which way it leans. Uh, how do you how do you do that? Are you are you just a voice or are you actually acting in this? So in this commercial, I was acting on camera. Um, I don't have a lot of those because I'm not submitting a lot of on camera auditions right now for various numbers of reasons. But um this was an on-camera commercial, but I actually get a lot of voiceover political ads. Mm. And this is a very tough uh, call. A lot of actors really struggle and put up very firm boundaries of I'm not going to record an ad for a political candidate, you know, or, you know, a Republican. I'm not going to do one for a Democrat or I'm not going to do political ads at all because I think they're just trash. And so different people have different ways of handling that. I have chosen to be a um, political advertisement whore. <laughs> you pay me the money, <laughs> and I will do your ad. 
<laughs> for a lack of a better term. <laughs> is that on your is that on your resume? <laughs> that is that is not like they're scanning for it. There it is. We'll hire. <laughs> yeah, no, it isn't. Um you know, for me, I feel like they're both crazy. Like I listen to both of their ads and from the ads, pretty much you would not really know if it's, I mean, yeah, according to the issues that they're talking about, you will know, but they are the same thing. They're always negatively bashing the other candidate or the other party. And you could just, you know, it could be the exact same. So, okay, this, all right, I want to tell a story. Um, I'm sorry I'm interrupting, but. Go right ahead. When I was in high school, uh, I was I did acting and I was trying to get into, you know, paid acting. And I got a little gig doing a commercial as a public service announcement for local television stations. And so I, I went to high school in the 90s. Uh, AIDS awareness was uh, a, a topic. And this one was uh, this is the commercial. I'm, I'm a kid in high school. I got my books and walking in the hallway. I'm clearly upset. And it cuts back and forth between me walking down the uh, high school hallway and then it cuts to stats about AIDS and it cuts back to me and I put my books in a locker and I slam my locker and I'm like crying and and it says, you know, AIDS, it's finally hitting home. Now, it doesn't say I had AIDS. It just indicates, you know, I'm sad because maybe I know someone who has AIDS or who knows, it doesn't, doesn't say. I'm just a sad kid in the hallway. Okay, fast forward, uh, I'm a senior in high school and I got a little gig, you know, delivering notes for the guidance counselor. So, you know, it's like a free period, you know, because you want to, you're trying to get out as, as many classes as you can. <laughs> so I deliver a note to a teacher and I come into classroom, I drop it off and I leave. And a friend of mine is in that classroom and they overhear a kid say to someone else, say, Hey, that's the kid with AIDS. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> no. And so my friend heard them and she goes, no, 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 no. He doesn't have AIDS. He's an actor. And they said, yeah, well, if he doesn't have AIDS, he shouldn't be advertising it on TV. <laughs> now, that's a high school student, but the, the mentality of most adults isn't that different when it comes right. to, you know, television. No, your story is absolutely, you know, right on, right on. And there are a lot of people that, you know, complain to the advertising industry that, you know, if people are advertising for a diabetes medication, then they should have diabetes or, you know, it shouldn't just be an actor. And so that's why now if you look closely at television commercials, it will say an actor portrayal for a lot of them. Yeah. Or it will say a real, you know, um, I don't know, person that takes the medicine, whatever word they use. Um, so there has been a lot of talk about that. And the industry has had to sort of uh, readjust to address those complaints and issues. And I, you know, as I was listening to you say that, there are things I draw boundaries around. Um, you know, I, there are things that I will not personally participate in. You know, sometimes people will say, I'm not going to do a beer ad, or I'm not going to do a smoking ad, or I'm not going to do, I certainly wouldn't do a smoking ad. But, you know, so there's certain things I won't do no matter what it is. Um, but like this commercial was basically just one woman and one man sitting in a room watching a television commercial for a candidate. And the dad says, you know, who who is that woman? What's her story? And I would be like, well, she, um, you know, was the aide to this governor who did this bad thing in the schools. And yeah, they're thickest thieves. And basically it's name association. And so the candidates running for 
Congress is trying to associate her, you know, opponent with this unpopular governor. And so it wasn't really necessarily about a specific issue. And it's in Kansas. And well, right, right. And I'm sure it'll amount to nothing. I I was just curious because politics comes up so much on the Holy Post and 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 you have an interesting viewpoint of someone who, you know, grew up very much, you know, under a Republican household and then you know, just after being part of the Holy Post, it's it's actually I think it might be hard to like label you now. But um, the point would be that someone would watch that commercial and their feelings about that candidate, nothing to do with topics or logic. Uh, they would just associate it to you if they saw you and thought, oh, Christian's uh, fill in the blank mm. because she was in that commercial. And, and again, I don't think that's going to happen. But that's I was so just... funny. You are way more thoughtful about it than I was, clearly. Well, you admitted you're the, <laughs> and the now, political whore. And now so. I'm like, you know what? Josh has a point. I probably should have thought through that. Look, I've been accused of having AIDS because I walked down a high school hallway, not admitting anything, but because it labeled AIDS on there somewhere, clearly. Yeah. I'm a, I'm a victim. So. Well, I am, I guess I am in this weird place because I don't consider myself a Republican or a Democrat anymore. I do right, think right. both parties are just absurd. Right. But they people live. will label you based on yeah. their how they perceive things. Not... Until they see me in a Republican commercial. This was a Democratic commercial. Oh, okay. so yeah, until they see me, I'm in a Republican. They're going to whiplash. <laughs> Oh, Christian, we just lost viewers. We just lost viewers now. So you just have uh, to balance it for each one. Yeah. Do one for each party. I'm not a Republican or a Democrat, so I can be equally hated by both sides. (laughs) (laughs) And they will. And now we've lost two thirds of our audience. So there you go. Anyway, so the whole point of that story was how working together and collaboration and networking together uh, is always a good thing. And, you know, I look at Chad's story and Chad was just very persistent about he emailed me, he messaged me on Facebook. He then emailed me multiple other times. I've now looked back and seen all those. And of course, it compounds my feeling terrible. And then, you know, he even put his money towards it by donating to Patreon uh, just to get my attention. And it worked. It worked, you know. Um, and so he ended up going to Normandy with his wife now, and he has a bunch of really amazing footage for his reel, a good relationship with me. And in return, they were able to um, to hire me. So that was just an amazing, really fun thing to do. I loved the set that they created, sort of the vibe and the ambiance of being there. And it was very interesting being on the other side of the camera. It's been a long time since I was in that position. Uh, and gee whiz, it just, it was so much more fun than when you're on the production side. <laughs> it's just so easy. Weren't we, hold on. We were in a TV thing together is what you're trying to. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, what for Awana. Yeah, yeah, that was it. <laughs> that was uh, a long time ago. Too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, my daughter was in it, yeah. Yeah. That was cool. Yeah, I get hate letters for that all the time still. (laughs) (laughs) You're with Awana? Are you kidding me? You heathen. I know. We've taken a big left turn um, or a right turn, depending on your political view. Uh, (laughs) What what, what do we need to be talking about, Christian? Yeah, so we were talking about, I was, that was just, you know, kind of saying networking is really cool. This was an awesome thing that happened. That was one thing that happened this week. The other interesting that happened this week, uh, other interesting thing is I really want to give a shout out to James Huberger. 
He's a listener of the Holy Post. He then became a listener to the documentary first podcast. He saw the film, was a big supporter. Then he joined our Patreon and has continued to support us on Patreon. And equally as important, he has shared his ideas from the time that he came on to our Patreon, writing messages in Patreon and saying, like the first one I remember was when I was trying to decide when we were kind of done with the Girly War Freedom, what was I going to name the podcast next? You know, was it going to be Documentary Second? And he wrote me back. He's like, that's the worst idea ever. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, just other stuff like that he's written. And I've been so thankful for his little input over the time. And uh, he wrote me a note this past week that said, I was listening to the podcast and I just paused it to say, and out of his own mind, he was thinking, maybe you could recoup some of your costs by doing in-person events. Uh, what would it take to get you to come out here to Montana? Do you have a list? And then he came back later and he's like, I just unpaused it and went back and listened. And you're like, I need to set up in-person events probably to re, you know, recapture some uh, money you know, spent on this film. So, um, so, you know, I gave him a list of things that it would take and just to, you know, encapsulate those for anybody that is interested in having the film come to their church, their school, uh, their, you know, veteran organization, their corporation. Um, the way that it works is reaching out to me to find out if I'm available, finding a date and a location, finding a group of people that's willing to sponsor that. Typically, there is a screening fee, which is negotiable based on the size of the organization. Uh, and then providing travel and lodging for me if you want me to come and do a live Q&A. Uh, so, so that was encouraging. And interestingly enough, um, another thing that happened this week was a listener to the Holy Post podcast. It's amazing how much we're talking about that today. A listener of the Holy Post podcast uh, reached out to me because he saw the film. He is a professor of social media and business at Lubbock Christian University. And he was wondering what it would take for me to come and speak to his class. And we finally had a meeting this week, started talking about the opportunities for that. I told him all the things that I could talk about or things that I could do for him. And as we began talking, we realized it might be uh, an interesting thing for me to come there in person and not just talk to his class, but talk to the whole business section or, um, you know, even the communications department, whatever. Um, and you know, it it became this interesting, viable screening opportunity that then led into my need for interns. And so I started talking to him about how we had a lot of staff um, pull back for now so they can do some of their uh, making their own money. And we have some big holes in our team right now. And I really do need more staff. And so we decided to think about how we could create an internship with that university to be able to step in and help us with some of our, you know, social media and business and marketing and just all sorts of stuff. Um, so that was an amazing blessing. Uh, so and you know, we'll see. I've never been to Lubbock, Texas. That would be kind of fun. And at the same time, I talked this week to our good friend, Virginie Durr at Delta. She has been talking with Delta again about doing another charter for next year for the World War II veterans that want to come and working with Best Defense Foundation and Michelin and us to put that on. And another opportunity that's come up is um, UPS is interested in kind of jumping on that bandwagon and supporting that effort. And they're wanting to host a screening on November 2nd. So uh, 
you know, I could be headed to uh, Atlanta again. I'm not sure where the UPS headquarters is, but I think it has to be in Atlanta. Um, and so that would be amazing. And then we, on November 1st, we're supposed to do a screening with the French Institute Alliance Francaise in New York City again for their s- student program. So it really does kind of look like the screening events um, are, are going to probably be the engine that keeps our companies afloat for a while. I was sad to learn this week that Amazon, who initially said they were interested in seeing if we could do a screening event for their veterans, basically pulled back and said there was nobody in leadership that was interested, uh, but we'll talk to them again in the fourth quarter. So, so yeah, so that was that was a lot of screening event stuff that happened this week that I was super excited about. That's cool. Yeah. That's interesting about UPS too. So are they talking about November of this year? Yeah. Yeah. And their headquarters are in Atlanta. Yeah. I mean, I'm not sure, but I know that's where the screening event would be. I looked oh. it up. It's it's in Atlanta. Yeah. It is yeah. in Atlanta. Makes sense. Yeah. I just said it was. I don't know why anyone had to question that. But. <laughs> um. Just a few other things that happened this week. Um, We've been working hard to fulfill the deliverables request for Virgil Films. Um, I was able to get the audio stems uploaded. And typically when a distributor wants you to, uh, wants to distribute your film, they will set up a portal for you to upload your elements to so that they then have access to them. So I did the audio, Uh, Bill Ebel uploaded the trailers and the film has been trying to upload now for over 24 hours. Mm. And we're told it still has 15 hours to go. So this is the uh, big ProRes version that we're trying to give um, Virgil Films. And um, yeah, so that's taking a long time. Hopefully that can get up to them before tomorrow. Um, I want to give a shout out to Daniel Petrino. Uh, He was the one that did our credits at the very end. They're phenomenal. If you haven't watched the credits, do. They're great. Um, we had to take FFS out of those credits, so he had to re-export those. Bill had to add them, and then uh, he was able to upload upload the film. So that happened this week. Um, we are having trouble downloading the files from our um, camera operator in France that just did the French interview with Flo Plana. He put all the files in an iCloud drive. Bill is trying to download them, and we're having difficulty. I'll be interested to see if we can work this out. We're trying to save money. Uh, the other option is buying a drive and then shipping it over here, and that would be much more expensive than just downloading these files. So, Like how expensive? Well, you know, I prefer if we're going to be shipping these things all over Kingdom Come to use an SSD drive and I think we need at least a two terabyte, you know, one to two terabyte SSD drive. And those can be anywhere from, you know, I mean, I I will tell you this. The last one I bought was four terabytes and I think they're almost a thousand dollars a piece. Wow. So they're not cheap, but I mean, you can get drives a lot cheaper for sure. Um, But so we'll see. I paid $60 for this download link thing. Uh, It's definitely much more economical, but if it doesn't work. Eh, right. How economical was it? Doesn't really matter. So, we're trying to get that uh, footage. Um, the other thing I did was I spent a lot of time trying to figure out the cost estimations for all of the rights that I have to renew for the film, and just the rights alone are going to be over twelve thousand mm. dollars. 
And then I still haven't gotten um, a hard answer for how much E&O is going to cost me. But right now, I'm thinking that it's probably going to cost me about $15,000 to get all of the stuff done that I need to finish for Virgil Films to release the film in November. And I'm at a crossroads for what I'm going to do because I don't have that money. So what am I going to do? Am I going to pay for it myself, which I can't? Am I going to take out a loan, which would put me in further debt? What am I going to do? I don't know the answer to that. I think I'll probably send out an email um, to our mail mailing list and just tell them the situation and see if maybe people are willing to donate. Um, yeah. So feeling kind of bummed about that situation. Yeah, that's rough. You have to do some more political ads, it sounds like. Sounds like it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and that's the other thing. I was so happy to have that job because I've been away so much. I have not been doing any work. Um, and right. so my little work coffers are kind of empty. It all comes down to money. I feel like we talk about money all the time. And I think that's <laughs> a good lesson uh, for filmmakers is that you're just never going to escape it. You know, you got to have it to make it. You got to have it afterwards for everything else that comes along. There's constant hidden fees and surprises that pop up. Um, and it's just if you're going to produce and make things, unless you're a big, you know, Hollywood person, um, you got to manage that money stuff. And it isn't easy. Yeah. There's been, I don't know if you guys have been tracking, but there's also been a lot of shifting and a lot of talk about what's going on with the streaming services. Have you been tracking that, Jason? Oh, yeah. <laughs> what have you been reading? Oh, man. Um, just, you know, the content cutbacks. Um, I mean, HBO Max did some things that were kind of unheard of and kind of said, yeah, we have this movie that's pretty much done. And we're just like Batgirl. Is that yeah, what you're Batgirl. talking about? We're yeah. just pretty much not going to we're never going to release that and just call it a loss because the 90 million dollars uh, that that cost us actually it makes more sense to call that a loss than to I know. train or anything on it. It's just like that is wild. <laughs> That's I we're know. entering a new era of who knows what's going to happen. It feels like it's almost like Moneyball where <laughs> it's really all about the numbers. It's not necessarily about the content. It's what is going to make us money. Yeah. Yeah. And what's the mathematical formula for that? I'm Martin Scorsese has been saying this for years. He's like, you know, whoever will pay you to make a movie does not care about the art or whether or not it's good. They just care if they're going to make their money back. That's all they want. They don't actually care if it's a good thing or if it's, you know, this beautiful piece of art that everyone loves. They they're not funding that they are funding the thing that will make them money. And that's totally true here. It's like, well, the best way for us to make money off this piece of art is for no one to ever see it and not make any money off of it hmm. because we can call it a loss on our tax uh, tax bill. Yeah. So, yeah, it's um, you just <laughs> studios and networks and streamers. I mean, it's just such a time of upheaval and that creates a lot of opportunity, but it also creates a lot of heartbreak for yeah. people involved. And Absolutely. It's, it's really sad to see, you know. Um, one of the directors of that movie, Batgirl, I guess, was getting married the day they announced that they weren't going to. So it's just like that, you know, just so many things about it are just gross and sad. And yeah. Yeah. You know, and he like I think about that director. He, once he took that money from, you know, HBO, he he got paid and that's it. 
right? He got paid. He has no control over anything. But what he's hoping for is, I signed this deal. I got paid. If this movie does well, then that's, you know, a notch on my belt. It's, you know, improves my street cred, my marketability. And um, that's never going to happen now. Yeah, he has his money, but he certainly doesn't have a blockbuster under his belt. Well, Mm -hmm. you're also talking, you know, you've lost however many months or years of working on this that you could have been working on something else. And now you won't be getting any residual checks for that. So, you know, each thing that you work on as a creative, as a writer, a director, that sort of things, even actors um, in some capacities, certain, you know, bigger name actors will get residual checks. That's not going to happen to anybody on this production now because this production effectively didn't happen. Right. And that, that is just insane. (laughs) It is insane. And, you know, it brings me to a conversation I was having yesterday with Doug Darby. Um, He was shocked to hear that there was really no way to watch the movie right now um, other than on our website through Gumroad. And also that we still have not been able to, even though we've tried every way possible, we still have not been able to get the movie anywhere on any of the big streamers. And I was talking to him in relation to the fact that one of the things I would love for business and and creative business or creative people to understand who have to do the business thing is that when you're young, you do think that I'm going to make this beautiful art and people are going to discover me. And it doesn't matter what it is, whether you're a director, actor, photographer, whatever, you think I've got this creative vision, this thing I want to do. I'm going to be really good at it. And you put all your energy and effort into becoming an expert or really good at whatever it is you're doing. And you think that if you do that and enough people see it or you get a break, then you're going to get paid for that and you're going to be able to do that for a living. And my point to him yesterday was it does not matter what you do. You can do the most amazing, brilliant thing, wonderful thing. But that does not mean that you're going to get paid for it, and it does not mean that it's going to be popular, and it does not mean that it may ever be seen by anyone. So, you know, you take my – one of the the movies that I'm going to talk about in our DocuView Deja Vu section um, is, is called – well, anyway, I'm not going to tell you what it's called yet. But anyway, um, we're going to talk about that, and we're going to talk about how it's on Netflix. It's on Netflix. And there is absolutely no comparison between my film and that one. And and there's no logical reason why that should be on Netflix and mine should not. But it it doesn't matter. My film is an amazing film. It's a beautiful film. It's well done. It's moved people. And where does it sit? On my website. And the only reason people have seen it is thanks to people like Virginie Durr, who put it on Delta and Air France or you know, me going around to all these film festivals and continuing to talk to people individually. Um, and that's if I wasn't willing to do that marketing or if Virginia didn't feel the way she felt. You know, it probably be sitting on a shelf or something. And that's just sad, but it's a reality. It's a reality. And that reality has got to be true for a lot of other filmmakers and authors, playwrights, you know, just uh, painters, you know, just very talented, make incredible work. It's just not going to be seen by a ton of people, maybe well down the road, but you know, like not, not in the way you would want it to be right now. Um, yeah. And I think down the road maybe, but you know, just not today. 
Well, and I think it's super important to separate that from your identity as a creative. You know, if we base our identity and our value and our worth on people paying us for work or people seeing our work, uh, we would be depressed constantly. <laughs> you know, I think there is an important element where you have to have a come to Jesus meeting with yourself and realize that the work that I'm doing, you know, is good work. And what other people think about it, it doesn't mean it's necessarily true. It's their opinions or their thoughts. And um, those vary from people to people, situation to situation. Um, and I think we have to be okay with the fact that we cannot guarantee success as a creative by doing X, Y, or Z thing. You know, there are people that um, lightning strikes and their tiny little film ends up at Sundance or ends up picked up by Netflix or, you know, some random girl seen in a coffee shop now as the biggest actor in the world. Those things do happen, but they are not the norm. And I think we face a, a choice of how do we want to embrace that reality? Are we just going to give up and say, you know what, it's just too hard to make it in this industry. I'm just going to, you know, lay it down and go get a job doing whatever. And I say, no, I say, fight on. I say, you can't quit. Uh, and I say, if you are passionate about what it is you're creating and what it is you love to do, then the onus is on you to make make it happen. Make whatever happen, happen. It doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to end up, you know, on a big streaming service or cable channel. But, you know, here I am plodding along and people are still watching my film and discovering it and it's still touching people it's hard work and sometimes it's depressing and i'm certainly still in debt for it but that's not why i did this in the first place but you know? it'd be nice to get paid <laughs> man it sure would, it would. you know no. but you have to accept i think you just have to accept that and you have to wait and see too like right now i was talking yesterday with ben fythen who's our head of business operations and we are looking at this streaming situation and what is going to happen to all these little independents i mean these big you know streamers are basically becoming studio systems you know and they're going to control everything from you know the making of their original content all the way through, you know, the streamer world, but also owning the movie houses. And then it's just all this circular system where their money stays within their little, you know, playground. And if you're not in that quote unquote new studio system, where where are you going to show your stuff? You know, it's going to be film festivals. And then where do they go? Well, you know, that's what we got to figure out. Um, we're working on it. We don't have any answers yet. All right. Well, until then, uh, maybe we should talk about other documentaries that we've seen recently and, uh, we can transfer to our other segment. The one I always have a hard time saying, but it is now time for DocuView Deja Vu. DocuView Deja Vu. Well done, Josh. I say, I feel like I say that wrong, but whatever. Um, Christian, you already mentioned you had one uh, lined up. You want to jump in and go first? Yeah, I do, actually. So uh, the film that I want to talk about is called 
perfect bid, the contestant who knew too much. Now, this is a one-hour, 12-minute documentary feature. Uh, it's classified as a history feature, which I guess technically it is. Um, it's got six and a half stars on IMDb. It's got 58% uh, audience um, uh, you know, scores on Rotten Tomatoes. It is the story of Ted Slauson, a contestant who gamed the rules of The Price is Right in 1972 you know, through extensive analysis and became a sensation on the game show. So, you know, when I saw the uh, documentary on Netflix, it did catch my attention because of The Price is Right. And I was interested because I do. I remember watching that show as a kid. And it is an interesting story, mostly because Ted Slauson is like a Rain Man type uh, in the way that he approached watching The Price is Right and, um, you know, how he kind of figured out the prices of different items and what he did with his knowledge. Um, but I got to tell you, just wasn't that well executed in terms of a film, you know, it wasn't very beautiful. It was, um, I think, sometimes got too deep in the weeds. Um, was just, uh, a, I don't know. The interviews oftentimes were done in different settings, and you know, they would show him in one setting uh, with one sentence, and then the next sentence he's in the other setting. It was just vis visually not really very appealing. Um, the Ted Slauson himself, not very charismatic, as you can possibly imagine, uh, just kind of giving the facts as a Rain Man type personality would do. Uh, he, you can tell he's repeated them a million times. Um, and in this situation, basically, he had the ability after a lot of practice and, and analysis um, of figuring out what the prices were on the items on the prices, right? And Ultimately, that ends up getting the show, like by the time Drew Carey gets there, uh, there was an incident that I won't spoil, but there was an incident that caused them to completely shut down and reboot how the show was done. Um, so that's the documentary for me, A Perfect Bid. It's, it's just called Perfect Bid, The Contestant Who Knew Too Much on Netflix. On Netflix. All right. All right. What's up with you, Josh? Um, so they're on Disney plus, I don't I get confused on what gets mentioned on this podcast and other podcasts, but, uh, tell me, and I didn't see it on our list. It's the, uh, Disney plus industrial light and magic docuseries. So it's, it's interviewing the original, uh, men and a few women who came who, like basically invented industrial light and magic. George Lucas said, I'm making this movie on star Wars. There's these things I want to shoot in outer space, you know, spaceships and so on, that the technology does not exist. I'm going to go over in London and shoot the actors. You guys here in California need to figure out how to do this. And so they're literally inventing technology to shoot never before type footage. And so they're interviewing the original people and their stories and how they came together. And uh, it's, it's interesting. It, it's actually a nice, Cause you know, I just finished watching, you know, a true crime drama and <laughs> uh, uh, just, just uh, over the top violent stuff, you know, like it's, it's nice cleanse of the palate, right? 
you know, just regular people doing extraordinary things, but there, no one's dying in it. It's not dark. It's actually inspiring, especially, you know, having grown up in the eighties and, and seeing, you know, kind of how this was done. It, it, it's fun. So, but if you like star Wars, if you like movie making, it's definitely worth checking out. Awesome. All right. Thank you, Josh. Jason, what about you? Yeah. So I have one that I don't know. I, I, I'm not exactly sure if it's considered a documentary. It's a very interesting style. Um, are either of you familiar with Adam ruins everything? No. Oh yes. Yeah. The okay. guy's got the big hair. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there was this show on, I think it was comedy central called Adam ruins everything. And he would, talk directly to camera and they would have actors and they would kind of recreate situations and moments in history and talk about them and how this thing that you know is not exactly how you think it is because you know history gets skewed and all that sort of stuff and so that show eventually got canceled and he just started a new show on netflix called the g word with adam conover and it's all about government and how government works and how you think it works and how it actually works. And so it's all actors in scenarios recreating things. And it's usually with the comedy bent. It's usually funny, but it is also kind of educational and kind of saying, hey, here's how the government interacts with food in a way that you don't understand. You know, the meat, um, the meat inspection act of 1875 or, you know, whatever it was. And so he goes through and he recreates the circumstances that led up to that in a comedic way, but it is true and you can go Google it and it's like, yeah, they're, they're telling the truth about this thing that happened. So it's kind of a video essay kind of style, but also kind of a documentary of here's how the food system has changed because of our government over the last, you know, 200 years or whatever. And the, I've only watched the one episode, but there are like eight episodes. The first episode starts out and he actually has the real President Obama sitting there doing his taxes. And, you know, it's it's a it's a funny little moment. And he's, you know, talking about how complicated taxes are and everything like that. And then they move on and they start talking about government and how it interacts with us on a day to day basis. Like one thing I learned in it that is apparently true is that one out of every 16 working Americans works for the federal government. And wow. We even, and we don't even know what they do. <laughs> and so that's part of what this show is doing. It's breaking down what the government does. And, and obviously it's, it's, you know, it's a comedic show. It's going to have some funny moments. So I'm not sure how much of it is actually accurate. You know, you can tell when they're making fun of something. Okay. That isn't accurate, but the circumstances around it are still true. So it's, it's a really interesting show. I think if you're interested in learning something, uh, and having a little bit of a fun time with it, uh, it's a it's a pretty good watch. Um, so yeah, the G awesome. word with Adam Conover. It's on Netflix. That sounds great. Thank you, Jason. You're welcome. I'm sorry. Where would you say it was streaming? Netflix. Oh, it is. Okay. I did see the trailer for it, but I couldn't remember. Anyway, looks look good. Seems like everything we are watching is on Netflix. <laughs> no, 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 no. There's there's good stuff on Hulu and good stuff on HBO, actually. Um, and Prime's got a few good things. So, yeah, I, actually, I'm finding it's actually harder for me to find good stuff on Netflix these days, to be honest, except for Stranger Things. Yeah, Stranger Things is pretty good. Well, mm -hmm. and Only Murders in the Building has caught my attention. You know, I've been loving it. It's, it's such a weird combination having Steve Martin and Selena Gomez and 
Martin Short crazy. I do we talk about this on the podcast on this podcast? Maybe what? Well, because it, so speaking of documentary type stuff, uh, I, I believe it still is at the time. I, I thought it was the most downloaded or most listened to podcast was Serial. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. So yeah. Um, Sarah Koenig, yeah, Sarah Koenig is the producer and she narrates it and, it, and she's investigating a murder of this girl and the accused is her boyfriend and he's still in jail and she's is kind of fishy. Did he really do it? And so she's trying to solve it. And I was hooked uh, listening to that. And, and part of it was, is they were solving it or investigating it real time. So each week you knew they learned something new from the week prior and things like that. And so I don't know if it'd be interesting to listen to now, but only murders in the buildings, their theme song is, I guess, respectfully or endearingly ripping off Serial's theme song. I mean, it's it's the same music, just they just changed it enough to make it their own. It's and an then, homage, right? An homage, <laughs> which I, I'm sure they did on purpose. Like it's they're you know they're like, hey, we love this show. We're gonna steal well, I'm music. sure they did, and you know they put um, Tina Fey, Tina Fey in there as her. I mean, I think that's right. who she's supposed to represent. Exactly, exactly. Where all of a sudden she's like this podcaster that like, what's a podcaster? Who are you? And then all of a sudden she's a celebrity, right? You know, when everyone worships her now, you know, as, as you know, the know-it-all in podcasting. Um, but I thought that was clever what, you know, what they did in Only Murders in the Building. Yeah. I just wish I could understand why our minds are so wired to want to watch true crime stuff or listen. Survival. <laughs> Survival. We, this is why, because if we know how to avoid a certain situation, A, you know, then it's avoidable, right? You know, like um, I, I just listened to uh, Dirty John podcast and it's about this guy who is, he, he's a con man and he was marrying women and dating women and who had more money than him and he would take their money and, and, and he was just a psychopath. And, and there's this feeling of like, how could this woman or these women let that happen to them? Like, I mean, you know, hindsight's 2020 20, and like, how could that be possible? And so it's almost like a survival mechanism. Like, well, I'm never going to let happen to me because I know the signs now. Right. That's one thing. And then the other one, Stephen King, he talked about, he would, when he comes up with his material, he thinks of like some of the most horrific, horrible things that could ever happen to him. <laughs> and if you think of those things, then they're not going to happen to you. Right. You know, like, you're like, if I imagine this, it's not going to happen to me. Right. So that was kind of his motivation. So it's either to, to make sure it never happens to me or be prepared in case it does happen to me. That's my, my theory. Well, and if I analyze my own mind, like I didn't think I was interested in that at all. I've talked about this before until my husband decided he was going to start watching these true crime things. And he's like, come on, just watch one with me. And I think it was the Ted Ted Bundy tapes, uh, which is a documentary series, um, which truly is fascinating. And um, and I watched it and I, I was wanting to binge watch it like, OK, let's just watch the next one. And, I, and when it got done, I'm like, he's like, so do you want to watch another one? And I was like, no. <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> you know? And I, I, I guess maybe for me, it's like this. You just can't fathom an individual that would think this way or do this thing. And it just right. seems absolutely preposterous um, that it could happen. I don't know. I guess it's sort of the same thing of why we like mysteries. 
you know, or or why we like roller coasters. You know, it's like it's it, it pushes you to the edge without killing you, right? You know, and so yeah. it takes you to the edge of like, oh my gosh, this actually happened because it is very different when when you watch a movie and it's like, say, it's um, Stranger no Things more, will do it. I mean, well, yeah, but but like if 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 Stranger Things started out based on the true story, we'd be go, what? Oh my, everyone get in the room, watch this, you know, yeah. versus. Stranger Things, ah, some fancy thing. Let's just check it out. And then it turned out to be good and we were hooked. But, you know, based on it, like uh, Fargo did this. Fargo's not a true story, but they just put on the tagline of the movie based on the true story. And you're thinking, holy, I can't believe this happened. And you're just drawn in because this is real. Turns out it wasn't real, but it sucked us in even more. Because somewhere, some, you know, somehow this happened and it's, in another state but it's not you know it's 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 near me somehow you know yeah that's crazy crazy well this has been fun great discussion guys (laughs) thanks so much for your time today yes and i want to say thank you for listeners for listening to documentary first where we believe everyone has a story to tell and you can be the one to tell it yes you can bye everybody Thank you for listening to Documentary First. We really appreciate your partnership with us. We can't do any of this without you. So thank you for listening, donating, and following along on our journey. We are supported by generous donations from people just like you. To make a donation, visit thegirlwhowarefreedom.com or support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash documentaryfirst. To learn more about our other works in progress, visit documentaryfirst.com or follow Documentary First on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. This podcast was produced by Documentary First, edited and mixed by Jason Hoban, with music by Jeff Kurtenacker.